Hello, hello. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Chuck Tuck, and I am the host of Behind the Story of. And today's story is of an adult nature. So if you are offended easily, if you don't want to hear anything about sex, and more specifically BDSM and kink, this may not be the podcast for you. But just to forewarn you, or be rest assured, this is nothing kinky. This is nothing overly sexual or anything like that. We're going to find out from first-time filmmaker Todd Casey, also known as Max, and he's going to talk to us about what BDSM is and what kink is. What what if is there a difference between the two? But his documentary actually follows four real-life people, and they're really different in their backgrounds. We have one who is an American soccer mom, another who is a British dominatrix, and then we have a another, a Robin, who is a good old Texan boy. And then we have January. And January is a special person. January really helps people bring out their inner self. Because a lot of us have a lot of inner power that we just don't know how to release. But anyhow, this podcast is really about the film which has been released in 2023. So if you're ready... Let's go ahead and get right into this conversation. Oh, and by the way, the documentary film is called Touch Kink. I love to explore different worlds, different people, different things. And it became very clear very early that the camera was going to be my passport to do so. So I, from that point, I'd always worked in film industry in various kinds and various jobs. I shot corporate videos. I had a post-production company. Uh, then I ended up selling that and went to Europe, shot a ton of stuff there, traveled all over the world, did a bunch of travel photography, travel work for Intrepid, which was fun. So I had to travel, you know, getting to actually film something, be in the room and travel was always the holy grail for me. Um, and then uh, about eight years ago, I was in Budapest and one of the conversations that I struck up was was the dominatrix by the name of January Seraph. And, you know, I first time I ever met anybody who, you know, was a dominatrix. So, of course, I was very curious. So I asked her about her life and what she did and what it was all about. And I quickly realized that we had more in common than I, than I realized. I didn't really understand what it was to be a dominant or a submissive or all these kinds of things. But I'd always been the kind of person just to do what I want, go where I want and figure it out. And I was always surprised not everyone did that. Like, I want to go, I go. I have always been very like that. I didn't know there was a, that was a thing. You know, it's like a kind of person that's like that and that's more unusual um, so I realized there's like a lot of parallels and I realized a lot of things that I enjoyed personally were also in that category of BDSM and I don't think I really kind of thought of it that way. And then I started getting to know her more and more and we talked and uh, she was very keen on doing a, a documentary to sort of explain the difference between abuse and consensual kink. 
you know, a lot of people kind of marginalize anybody in the community because they kind of think, oh, that's kinky, that's weird shit. Much like, you know, it wasn't 30, 40 years ago where if you were gay, that was weird shit, you know. Oh, my goodness, that person's gay, you know. Um, ooh. You know, now I think the, the moniker kink has sort of replaced that now. Oh, they're kinky. Oh, no wonder they're doing crazy shit. You know, it's nothing to do with what you do or who you are. It's how you do it. You could be a crazy used car salesman. Uh, and there's probably a lot of those actually. Anyway, <laughs> she, uh, she, um, offered to actually at the beginning, she offered to finance the whole thing, but I also realized that, uh, she was bipolar and wasn't really cool with, you know, taking advantage of somebody when they're kind of like, Oh, I'm so excited. You know, she made a lot of money as a jet set dominatrix and all the rest of it. But, uh, you know, I still valued her friendship and didn't, didn't really, think much more of it other than sort of put it at the back of my mind but about eight months later I got the the uh, a call from a company that wanted to market this app and they wanted me to do videos and promotional stuff and it was a, a dating app for kinky people mm. and I looked at the app and I thought well, I, I was honest with them I said look this app is not very good uh, and they were kind of shocked that I said that and I said look you know here's what you, you should do this this and the other thing but you know, I don't think you get this at all. I mean, I didn't even know as much as I know now, but I knew enough then to know that they were way off base even then. Now I look back and go, they weren't even 1% of the way there when they decided to launch. So I managed to convince them and say, look, I, you know, I'm happy to go out there and ask people to try your app if you're supporting my documentary and I can be just really honest with people say, look, I'm here with XYZ. The company's name is Whippler. They're sponsoring the Montreal fetish weekend and, uh, I'm, uh, they're sponsoring my documentary and I'd like to uh, film you for the documentary. And then it was the, you know, the, the events were happy because I got some money from the, the, the big brand from them. The community was more happy because I think they, they, they understood that my intentions were good to sort of, portray portray the uh, portray them in an interesting light and to try to bridge that gap between kinky and non-kinky folk a couple of real quick questions right off the bat so is kink different from bdsm and or does bdsm fall under an umbrella of kink uh that would be one and in your research and doing the filming uh putting this documentary together since you you know, met January, uh, is in Europe. Did you find that Europeans are more accept, accepting of this type of culture? I'm not going to use the word behavior, but culture. Um, to your first question about the, I mean, I'm, the first thing I, uh, I like to say and the first thing I learned is how little I know about anything uh, because everyone likes to define things differently and that's a different route. The way I define it is kink, it would be the umbrella category, and there's two subcat main subcategories underneath that, which is BDSM, bondage, dominance, sadomasochism, and then the middle, sometimes people go uh, BD, DS is in uh, dominance, submission as well. And that's sort of the old sort of guard, which often, uh, for many people, has nothing to do with sex. It's purely to do with experiences of, of feeling a certain way, of being a certain role, a lot of BDSM relationships are not sexual. Some are, some aren't. Um, but it, just because you see 12 couples and they're all getting spanked and they even all look the same, I can pretty much guarantee all those 12 people that look like they're doing exactly the same thing are having completely different experiences. 
One's feeling strong, maybe one's feeling weak, one's feeling cathartic. I mean, the top is thinking this. I mean, you can't know what's going on in people's heads. It's the same action has different feelings to people, brings out different things. So it's, it's, uh, it's quite a, uh, an enigma. And then on the other side of BDSM is, is fetishism, which is related, but fetishism is really just somebody likes a particular thing. Uh, feet, feet, uh, foot fetishes are probably the most common. The interesting thing about the concept of kink, at least from my research, is that it's, it's self-cannibalizing in the sense that it, for it to be kinky, it has to be a minority. Therefore, you could argue that, uh, I don't know, having sex with the lights off now is probably kinky, uh, if most people do it with the lights on. You know what I mean? It, uh, yeah. The, uh, the wearing a Victorian bathing suit would certainly be kinky now because that's an unusual thing that no one does. Everyone wears a bikini, but to Victorians, of course, the bikini would be kinky. Um, so it sort of cannibalizes. And, uh, you know, you think about the, the, all the research that I've, I've seen says pretty much over 50 percent of people now have tried a little bit of light bondage, a little bit of spanking. So it could be argued that those things are no longer kinky. Uh, <laughs> you, right. I, I guess I could. I mean, go as far as saying that uh, if you want male, female, penile penetration into vagina, missionary, that could be kink because maybe that's not the the normalization or now. Exactly. It, it, it's a funny term, but so under the umbrella of kink is basically generally thought of as anybody doing something that may or may not and often is not outside of the norm <laughs> and then the bdsm is more of a traditional sort of bringing it down to those four subcategories and it has traditions within those traditions the other side fetishism and sometimes the people the folks in bdsm and the folks in uh the fetish side of things don't necessarily get along because they're a lot of people they just want to go to an event and wear latex you know they they want to go to an event and uh, dress up a certain way you know, for them, it's a fetish, something that they like, um, where some of the more traditional BDSM people would say, well, uh, you know, and, and fetishism is generally more sexual. It's more like, I want to shag while you're wearing those latex clothes or, you know, uh, it's more uh, orgasm usually is a bigger part of that, in my experience, than it is in the traditional BDSM field. Okay. Uh, I think that was the answer to your first question. I can't remember the second. <laughs> Did you find that? Europeans are more accepting of this culture than in North America. Oh, absolutely. My my director of photography was Dutch. And, you know, he wouldn't have described himself as kinky. And obviously he was with me for the we filmed for like 90 days over a few years. He said, this isn't, to him, this wasn't kinky. This was just normal stuff. I mean, he's Dutch. It's just, yeah, some people like that and like they didn't the dutch don't seem to draw a line so strictly between that this is kinky and that's not they just say it's just sex the, the only thing is sometimes i see is more hard that was that was all he would say sometimes like if they're spanking or they're doing something a little bit he'd go that's very hard he wouldn't say it was kinky he just that's, that's little little hard i think <laughs> that was it that was the whole thing um the last thing i saw in scandinavia right now it runs around 42 43 percent of people actually consider themselves kinky or curious uh the latest numbers in north america are around 28 to 33 percent depending on what report you're reading um 
So yeah, I think in the Europeans generally have a healthier attitude towards this stuff anyway. There, there's more nudity. There's more of these discussions. Uh, you know, you'll you'll you, if you're in Denmark, you know, uh, there's nudity on daytime TV, and the kids can watch that. But the moment there's something violent, mom will come over and cover the kids' eyes. You know, it's like they they have a different priority in what they. In America, it's like perfectly fine to watch a hundred guys get their head blown off with a shotgun, but God forbid you see a pair of nipples because apparently that's going to mess you up. Uh, where Europeans have the opposite attitude, so in general, I think their attitude is a little bit more open and healthy with regard to these things. I'm glad you said healthy because I I, I do agree with you on that. Uh, we're we cover our kids' eyes, or we have groups out there saying, "No, you shouldn't watch this." Uh, violence, violence, or, or, or violence is all okay. Hey, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Sure. And let's have it all over the news. Let's have it in the movie theaters. Let's have it on television. But like you said, God forbid, there's a nipple. That's not good. So it's, yeah, definitely backwards. I remember living in Europe during the whole Janet Jackson nipple slip thing on oh. the Super Bowl. And all the Europeans were thought that was a joke. Is this like an April Fool's kind of joke? Are you making, like, no one's actually like, no one's actually seriously got a problem with this, right? And I had to explain to them, no, actually, there really were people that actually <laughs> have problems with this stuff. It, it's, it is kind of, a, kind of amazing. Um, but I was thinking this morning how sad it is that humans generally remember the bad stuff. It's more, it grabs us far. Like if it bleeds, it leads. If it's like someone gives you an insult, you might remember it for the rest of your life. But if someone says you look good today, you'll probably forget it by tomorrow. You know, there's something about violence or those aggression that unfortunately captures people's attention for better or for worse. And I think that's why America is the land of entertainment. They want to capture people's eyeballs. And somebody figured that lesson out fairly early, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, that's why it is the way it is in my mind. Yeah. Once again, you're spot on on that. It's, you know, you hear a lot of people who go to uh, funerals or celebration of life. And then it's like, hey, I haven't seen you in 20 years. Oh, it's so great to see you. Somebody dies, we get together. Something happens in the news, we glamorize it for uh, uh, lack of terminology for me. But you see other other cultures, other places, it's an every I don't want to say and make it light of things, but it's an everyday occurrence. So they don't dramatize it and they don't make it into a special occasion as, as we do, I think, in the States where we make a lot of things into a special occasion. Um, but aside from all that, your film, Touch Kink. So uh, why did you make this film? Was it to highlight... January's life or is it the culture or did you want to pay homage what was it about this film that really made you make this documentary film I'd be lying to say that I uh, decided I wanted to do something from the beginning uh, the truth was it sounded like an interesting story kind of like I'm going to go visit XYZ country I don't know what I'm going to find but I'm a traveler and I, I, I've learned that nothing makes me happier than sort of dropping into a situation that's slightly uncomfortable, uh, that's a little bit more like what you could figure this stuff out. So I started on the journey. The beginning of it was to sort of 
dispelling the myths around BDSM. Like I was like, that was the, the first question I was asked people, you know, what, what is the biggest misunderstanding around BDSM? Um, but then as the journey progressed and I met so many amazing people that shared so many amazing stories, it started becoming almost like a evangelical, slightly evangelical thing for me in the sense that <laughs> I, I kind of think that kinky people deserve, uh, if you're consensually kink and you've educated yourself on how to do it, I think they deserve a superiority complex because it is a better way forward. You know, to tell people just don't do like, you know, the old sex ed stuff was just don't do it, you'll die. You know, uh, that was really uh, not very nuanced and not very useful. <laughs> you know, even the, you know, and the me as important as the Me Too movement was, um, I think there's a whole generation of men now that are like afraid to, you know, slap a girl on the bum. And they should be. Unless, of course, they have a conversation. Hey, my name is, what you, what do you like, what do I like? I like spanking. Have you ever heard of, oh, you'd like, you know that? Okay. So would it, could I get consent maybe? Like maybe we could like, I could spank you on the bottom sometime under this, this situation. Oh, you, you actually like to be spanked from time to time? Great, great. So and if, if it doesn't go so well and you decide you don't want me to start spanking anymore, you'll just say red or stop or whatever the hell you want to say. And then we'll talk about it afterwards. Okay. Spank, spank, have a good time. It's not that you can't do these things. You can do anything you want. There's nothing politically correct. As Esther Perel says in her book, Mating in Captivity, there's nothing politically correct about the erotic mind, and nor should there be. What you may, I think her quote was something along the lines, you may be protesting against something like maybe equal rights. And then in, in the bedroom, it's like, let's do master and servant. You know, it's like, right. there's nothing wrong with that if it's consensual. So to me, you know, a lot of people, I think, especially a lot of guys that I am, they, they don't know how to behave. They don't know what to do. How are you supposed to treat? You know, oh, I can't do this. Because before they were taught, oh, maybe be a bit aggressive and you might get the girl. Or, you know, half the, the stuff that's been canceled now, like Pepe Le Pew has been canceled, which I think... When you look at it, actually, it makes a lot of sense. Here's this aggressive guy that won't give up. We're aggressive. We call it stalking now. <laughs> and it was kind of cute. <laughs> you know, so it's like the new, you know, so what's the next thing? What can we teach people? The can't, you know, just say no isn't going to work. Just, you know, try and don't offend anybody all the time is not going to work. How about this new model that kinky people have been using for a long time? You know, have a thorough, honest conversation, discuss what you want to do, you know, gain consent for that activity, do that activity, and then make sure it was cool for that person. And if it was, maybe start that whole circle again. I think it's, it's something that isn't that, that little bit of knowledge, that little bit of process that emanates from the kink community is literally and should literally be the kind of stuff that we talk about in all relationships. Um, you know, I think we'd have to reset the clock and start all over because I think the culture here in, I'm just going to say in the North America, maybe mainly men, and you kind of pointed this out, we don't know how to behave um, because we were never taught, we were never shown, everything was a no, 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 no. And or it was a you got to be masculine if you want to get that woman. But then also, I think on the flip side, maybe a small minority is um, if there is a consent, hopefully is a verbal consent, then somebody changes their mind afterwards. And I think there's a lot of that fear, too, 
or perhaps that has happened. So it's almost like we need to start today and and teach, whether that's at home or in school, to build up to this part where it's it's okay. But you ask and you get your consent, and you know you know, like you said, there's that there's that code word. Red means stop. It doesn't mean more, and it doesn't mean do I question what he or she is saying. Does that mean they want more? No. Red was the code word. That's it. But we just don't understand that here in North America. Problem. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, this is um, if I get to make another movie, I'd love to make it. But I'm getting so many comments from guys now and talking about, oh, all this negotiation, all this negotiation seems like such a pain in the butt. I mean, I just want to get laid. I just want this. You know, they have this idea that they... They want X. They want whatever they want. And they, so they, they approach somebody. They don't get, maybe they don't get that. They walk away. And what I'm trying to explain to them is actually, if you have a conversation with someone and it's going and you're not getting X, why not ask them what, they're, what they like? You know, what about, what are, what are they interested in? A, B, C. You might find out that there's things that A, you didn't even know existed. <laughs> B, things that you'd really like to do as well, but you because X was off the table, that was off the table, and it wasn't. Um, so not only is all these conversations not a waste of time, you may not get X, but you may get ABC through everything else. And hell, you know, things go well, you might get X too. Yeah. You know, but it's just having, not just kind of being so focused in on one or whatever that activity you're looking for, usually, you know, hide the sausage uh not be so focused on the one thing and just be open to other things and you'll end up you might discover so many wonderful things yeah you know that's to me kinky is almost like uh it's almost like a scientific approach to being naughty <laughs> yeah and you know again i'm going to say our north american continent here in america we look at x as that happy ending so you know majority of the guys that's what they're looking for they don't know that there's any there's more or there's less and more it doesn't just mean your happy ending your climax your orgasm it could be other things that are going to excite you or turn you on it doesn't always have to be that happy ending so um on on your film you you highlight is it seven main uh people that you have interviewed there was mainly four, four main stories okay. and then some smaller sort of, uh, you know, the main characters were January, uh, Emily, Robin, and Mistress Precious. And then a lot of people shared other details and stuff. But, you know, the overarching story for me, at least, was sort of trying to lay out this process again of, like, negotiation, consent, play, and aftercare. And if anyone... Hopefully, like, you know, hopefully it's entertaining enough that they'll learn a few things. But the most important thing I want them to remember is just not, we're not all the same, Kel Surprise. And, uh, you know, negotiation has value. Consent has even more. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a little aftercare, you know. And then you can, the, the, somebody says in the film how, um, you know, heterosexual, normal, classical, whatever, sex is like one dot on this little spectrum of all the things that are possible, you know. Now, did you find that women were more open to uh, having this discussion than men? Yeah, I think I, I think they, they definitely um, definitely are. I think somebody I wish I could remember who said it to me, but uh, somebody who had some psychological 
was a psychotherapist of one kind. It's just generally men have a much more limited spectrum of emotions. Generally in the Western world, you're allowed to sort of be pissed off, slightly proud of, and slightly proud of yourself. I think that's it. You're not really supposed to be melancholy. You're not supposed to be too emotional. You're not, you're not even supposed to be that excited, you know, like proud of yourself is one thing, but you know, you don't dance around like a fool. That would be you know, like a fool, you know? So we have a much more narrow kind of concept of what we're allowed to feel, which kind of limits our way to process things. And then you add on top of it, like, uh, what you're taught like i i've always identified as i well, actually i've always identified basically as queer because i i've always been an odd person and that's i meant it more in that sense uh but i i i, I most of my interactions have been uh been with women but i've realized there's a few uh trans not i don't know what the term for non-cis women is now transgendered i guess um, a very attractive woman, you know, who may or may not still have, have, have a penis. And I'm like, hmm, she was down with me. I'd be okay with that. And I've realized it's less, for me, it's, it's less about um, the biology of things. I have a certain form in my mind. I like a feminine form. You know, most feminine forms generally are cis women. <laughs> but if there's one or two that isn't, it's not a big deal for me. And, but I don't consider myself gay or anything. You know, I don't even consider myself bisexual. I just consider myself open-minded. Uh, some would call it queer, but, you know, it's like, but whatever. <laughs> I think we, we, it's hard to resist all of those boxes, and everyone wants to fit into a box. And it's harder for people to realize there is no boxes. There's a spectrum of what you like. There's a spectrum of your sexuality. There's a spectrum of your personality. There's a spectrum of every, everything. Is spe there are no boxes. And if you grew up with only, uh, being only allowed a couple of emotions in a culture that largely judged this or a generation that largely does that, it's hard to break away from that. Yeah. Well, just a couple of comments because, uh, uh, like you're saying, uh, Western men, North American, they may have in their head this ideal woman, a shape, a look. They see one on the internet, they're like, oh my gosh, she is so hot. And they go, you know, that's a dude. Like, what? No way, man. And, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Well, two seconds ago, you're just like falling over this one. And now, you know, your whole mind's changed. So that's my I think it's that's one of the ones that's it's a great example because that's one of the kinds of material that apparently is like the most searched material because there are those guys that still yeah I do like her or I just I don't like it's like their dirty little secret that they find this person attractive they can't tell anybody and they am I gay no you're not you like a feminine form <laughs> uh, it was um I think one of the big ones was uh that remember the band Power Station and they had the uh, female actress on there, Tula. Tula was born a man, but everybody, you know, prior to was saying, oh my gosh, she is the hottest woman that I've seen. And then it was like a shock. <gasps> that was a guy. Oh. Yeah, my other comment too is I really love the title that you have for your documentary, Touch Kink, and especially how you do that with the, with the small letter T and then ouch, kink. Because kink also, and BDSM has a little bit to do with some like a little bit of pain for pleasure pain and pleasure that's right yeah that's the thing um 
you know, people also think about one sensation. Uh, you know, typically they're thinking about how they want to have an orgasm or have that pleasurable sensation, but they forget all the other sensations we can have. Mm-hmm. And as one of the people po- po- points out in the documentary is like the concept of a runner's high, how people push, 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 and your body just releases all these happy chemicals that make you feel amazing. And that, that is a direct, that, that's kind of what a lot of professional dominatrixes do is they'll slowly increase the dosage of pain over a long period of time, just enough that it keeps going up. Your body keeps pumping out more happy juice. And when they stop, you, some people will call that subspace. You feel this, I've, I've uh, experienced it only once, but not to the extent of others, but it feels, and I've never tried heroin, but from it felt like just this wild kind of like <sighs> happy thing. I imagine it's what heroin or something feels like. It's like these endogenous opioids that are swimming in your brain and you just feel like loved and everything is beautiful. And that is really what people, it's a bit of a misconception. People think that they're into pain or these pain sluts, they call them, or, but it's not actually about the pain. It's about how it makes you feel mm-hmm. if you kind of get me. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a problem with the community. Some people, they don't realize that because most people, you know, get the whips out, do that, cause a lot of pain. And somebody says, oh, they, they don't know enough to know that, well, actually the goal was actually to deliver in such a way at such point that you feel a certain way. And it, if it is just all pain, that's a very small percentage of people that would actually come back for more, you know? Well, you use a blanket term of sex, and you know we've heard it in the song before. Sex is a drug, and like mm-hmm. I said, it affects your dopamine, uh, all your nervous system, and things like that. And then for some people, it's it's you get to that point, and you want more, or sometimes you don't get to that point. But um, all of this definitely can be healthy: kink, BDSM, sex, love, however you want to view it I, I think it's all healthy i think it's healthy if you do it in a healthy way and you're mm-hmm. in an ethical way and that's the big thing is just to you know tr- hopefully through the film it'll be both entertaining and give a little bit of a guidance for the for other people in terms of how to try how to avoid the some of the pitfalls and to get the most out of this thing you know it's uh how to be ethical about this and uh, i do hope that there's a movement sort of like a the, you know, the touch kink movement when people are like, it's okay to do these kinds of things. We got, we don't need the stigma. Stigma shouldn't be about an activity. It should be about, about, uh, someone's ethics more than mm-hmm. their activity, you know? Yeah. And like saying ethics being ethical means that I know your limitations, you know, mine, you know, when to stop, I know when to stop. I know when to give more, it's all consensual and knowing our limitations. Exactly. Uh, uh again, I just want to throw out there. It's, touchkink.com is where people could go to. They could sign up to get more information to find out when the film's going to be released. They could see a trailer there. And by the way, the trailer is beautifully done. I mean, it's really, really great. The interviewing that you did, uh, the shots that you have in there for the trailer, um, the entire filmmaking is is great. Uh, But before we, you know, end this out, is is there a sales promotional pitch type of thing you want to give out there for your film? Um, right now I'm, I'm really just, uh, wanting to raise awareness. It's, it's doing the film festival circuit starting soon. I have an agent that's selling it in different countries. So, uh, 
really the only pitch, I guess, is come to my website, sign up for the newsletter, and you know, keep informed about uh, when it's going to be shown in your uh, your particular Hamlet. Uh, this may be a poor choice of words, but I'm excited to see it. <laughs> it's a great choice of words. <laughs> Max, this has been wonderful, and I really am looking forward to seeing this film, and I'm definitely going to be signing up right here and waiting for the awesome. information. So thank, thank you, you very, very much. much.